Well, before we begin our Torah study this evening, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. The Torah begins with the book of Genesis or origins. The Hebrew name, of course, is Breshit, the first word in the scriptures, which translates into English in the beginning. And it's a declaration that God himself brought the universe into existence and that by his sovereign actions, time, space, reality was created. By God's creative actions, all of us have come into being and humanity and all living creatures, we learn, have their genesis in God. And for this reason, because he's our creator and we are the creatures, we are accountable to him for the lives that we lead. And for this reason, we have to keep looking to him for wisdom and for understanding, for guidance, so that we can live well and live in a way that brings glory and honor to God. As much as we need God and we need him greatly, we also need each other. And that is why Yeshua taught that the two greatest commandments have to do with loving both God and people. And it's also why God made an interesting comment in this week's Torah reading. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, you can turn there if you have your Bibles. It says this, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a fitting helper. In Hebrew, ezer konegdo. I will make a fitting helper or a suitable helpmate or a helpmate for him. Now, here's the interesting thing. Man was not really alone. God says it's not good for man to be alone, but man wasn't really alone. He was with God. But God said that's not enough. Man needs God, but man also needs woman. And then we find out that man and woman together need family, and family needs a greater society to be a part of. But let's focus on woman right now. A fitting helper, that's one translation. Ezer Konegdo is the Hebrew. But I want you to grasp something. It's not an assistant. And here's why. The Holy Spirit is also called Ezer. He's called a helper, but he's not really an assistant, folks. He is much more. Ezer, then, is much more than an assistant. The Hebrew phrase Ezer Konegdom can be translated in two very different ways. One way is a helper who is suitable, and another way is a helper who is opposite or opposing. And that's interesting. If you think about suitability, it means corresponding, a, a helpmate who corresponds to the man and complements him. Now, complement, that's, you got to get the spelling right in English, C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T, complement, complete, to add to. I'm not talking about giving compliments with an I, but complement, a suitable suitable helper who corresponds to the man and is a complement to him. That's one of the meanings. And another meaning is a help who is opposite, which could be this, who opposes him and fights with him. 
And there are two translations that reflect two ways of being. Some of the Jewish sages, such as Rashi, have said things like this. If the man is worthy, the woman, his wife, shall be a help to him. If he's unworthy, she shall be opposed to him or she shall fight him. In, in other words, if Guys, if we live our lives in a way that honors God and shows love and respect to our wives as well, our wives will be that positive, that, that very suitable and fitting, corresponding and complementing us, that type of Ezer Konegda, the, the one who adds to us, the one who has some qualities, some insights, some perspectives, some gifts, some talents that are different than ours, not gonna be the same. So it's not just a mirror image or a, a, a little bitty version of us or a different version of us. And if we don't serve the Lord, if we don't keep God in mind, if we don't love our wives the way Yeshua has taught us, then we are at risk of that other side of Ezer Konegda, which is the one who, uh, is an opposition and produces conflict and fighting. So the Torah then goes on to tell us that God made woman, but one of the, one of the verbs that's used, it's so interesting, it's a verb that means to build. God built woman. He took a part of man and then he built woman. You see, woman comes from man, but she is distinct from him, she is Ezra Konegdo. She shares much even of the genetics of a man, of course, but she has some distinct genetics. So God took some of the genetic material of man and then he worked with it and he differentiated it. The, the uh, sex chromosomes of a woman are different than the sex chromosomes of a man. And that's not the only differences. There are differences, of course, in hormone of body organs and many different ways. That's why uh, some of the great hospitals such as uh, the Mayo Clinic here in Jacksonville have health specialty centers for women because they recognize that women are different from men. They're not just a smaller version of a man or a, a version that's like less than a man. No, they are different. God made them different. We share genetic material, of course. We're both humans and we come together and we can make families together, but we are different. And it's important to grasp this early on. That's why the scriptures addresses all of this early on. And from this, we can take an important lesson. Men and women need each other. We need each other. And though we're different, we need each other. And because we're different, we can be good for each other. If we were just the same, it really wouldn't help us. And when we grasp this, when we understand it, when we really take this to heart, we can see a pattern in the scriptures. It's the pattern of mutual need and value. And it applies for male and female together, and it also applies for many other human categories. For instance, young and old need each other, young and old together. Blacks and whites need each other. Jews and Gentiles need each other. This pattern of mutuality is a foundational idea for the body of Messiah, mutual need and mutual value.
We're not all the same, but we need each other. And the pattern is expressed in the new covenant metaphor of the body of Messiah. The body metaphor is used to convey the idea that we need each other and we're valuable to each other. So for the body to be understood, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, or I'm sorry, verse 14. We'll start in verse 14. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 20. For the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Now, at this moment, I have to pause because I think this reflects a more tender side and a more humorous side of the Apostle Paul than many people think about. But I think this could be read in a humorous voice if you were, and in a humorous way, if you were talking to your children and said, if we were all just one big eye or we were a bunch of eyes together, you can imagine the grins that would be on their faces. Verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, one organ, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have need, no need of you. Now, now, let's think about this. People could say, well, because I'm not this, I'm not really a part of the body of Messiah. The, the metaphor is uh, the foot could say, well, I'm just a foot, so I don't count, or I'm just an ear, whatever, you fill in the blank. And people can do this too. But let's grasp the metaphor. Wouldn't it be absurd for the body to be reduced to one organ? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? One part can't say to another part, I have no need of you. In, in, in fact, if you ignore different parts of your own body, you'll, you'll pay a price at some point in your life. You have to take care of everything, the visible, the honorable, the most glamorous, and the most, uh, the parts you want to hide. Well, this, I think, helps us grasp important principles about our nature, about our identity, about our belonging to someone and something greater. We have different functions, different gifts, different abilities, you name it. And our individuality, even our, our rarity, our uniqueness is the means by which we fit into the greater body. And for that reason, our differences are meant to be appreciated and celebrated. And this is part of the lesson that begins in Genesis with the creation of man, and then man and woman, and then family, and then humanity moving forward from that. You see, we celebrate and appreciate our differences. We don't try to all be exactly the same. You may be one of a kind. I mean, you may even be an oddball, but you're still part of the body. And there is the temptation that people have, and that is to, to think that they're so different that they don't belong. 
But the answer to that is wrong. That's not right. And, and sometimes people can be rejecting of others and they think, well, you're too different. So I don't need you. What's the right response to that? It's to say wrong. It's wrong to think those ways. It's wrong to think because you're different, you don't belong. And it's wrong to think because other people are different that you don't even need them. It actually takes all of us together. It takes all of us together. And this is born from the reality of male and female. It's a grand pattern for humanity. It wasn't good for man to be alone. Man needed woman. Woman came from man, but different. So different is good. You might want to write that down in the comment section. Different is good. We need each other and we attain fullness only together. We cannot reach the highest levels that God has designed for humanity just by one person trying to do it. Well, this same pattern of mutuality also applies to Jews and Gentiles. And there are two verses in Romans 11 that speak together about this. The first is in Romans chapter 11, verse 12. And it says this, now, if Israel's stumbling means riches for the world, and if their falling down has given rich opportunity for the Gentiles, how much more will Israel's fullness mean for the nations of the world? Now, let's think about that because some English translations don't use the word fullness, they use a uh, full number. And it's just, I don't think it really captures it because fullness is speaking of the full measure of godly qualities, as well as full representation and full participation. So the fullness of Israel, Paul is teaching the Romans, will be a greater blessing for the nations. As well, the fullness of the nations is meant to be good for Israel. This is also important. And it's in verse 25, Romans 11, verse 25. For brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this truth, which God had formerly concealed, but he has now revealed, so that you won't imagine you know more than you actually do. And here's the truth. That stoniness of heart to a degree has come upon Israel until the Gentile world enters into its fullness. And that's an interesting idea. There is going to be a change upon the hearts of the Jewish people. It's already begun. It, it exists in every generation in some measure, but it's going to grow even stronger and beyond what you could imagine. The Jewish people, whether we know it or not, are waiting for the other nations to enter into their fullness. And again, fullness is not about number, but about quality. We're waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles, the full measure of godly qualities to be embraced by the nations of the world, for them to be fully represented and to fully participate. You see, Jews and Gentiles are interdependent. We need each other. And both are called to value each other and to do good to the other. That's mutuality. Now, this idea, it's a pattern that I believe also applies to blacks and whites in an interesting way. Here's something to think about. 
there are Jews who are black. There are Jews in America. There are Jews in Africa, Ethiopian Jews. There are Jews in Israel who are black. There are Jews being raised uh, all over the world by Jewish families that are black. There are Jews that are white. There are Jews that are brown. There are Jews of so many colors. There are also Gentiles who are black. There are Gentiles who are white. There are Gentiles who are brown. Now, think about this. Jews, the Jewish people cannot reach fullness. We can't really come into fullness as Jews if we don't appreciate and value all kinds of Jews, all varieties of Jews. And that includes all colors of Jews. There's no room in the Jewish world for racial prejudice among Jews. It exists, but it's ungodly and it's wrong. You see, we need to appreciate and value all kinds of Jews regardless of their color of skin. And I don't mean, regardless, maybe it doesn't really capture it for me. I, I sometimes use that to mean, well, we're sort of colorblind. You know, we're not prejudging people because of the color of the skin. But rather, we actually need to value all the different colors of the Jewish people, as well as all the language groups of the Jews and other qualities of the Jews. And it's also why we have to reject sinat chinam, this is a Hebrew phrase that means free hatred or causeless hatred. That's a better translation, uh, not literally, but that captures the essence of it. Causeless hatred or hatred without cause. That's another way of putting it. Sinat chinam is a deep-rooted cause of division and of sin. Well, now let's turn to the Gentiles. In the same way, Gentiles can't reach fullness until there's appreciation and valuing of all kinds of Gentiles. That includes all colors of Gentiles. So there is no room in the kingdom of God. There's no room from God's perspective for one group to say that they are supreme. There's no, there's no room for white supremacists, for whites to say, we're the only ones who are worthwhile or good and everyone else of a different color is less than us. Uh, white Gentiles that do that are making ungodly and wrong decisions. So Gentiles need to appreciate and value all kinds and colors of Gentiles too, as well as all language groups of Gentiles and other qualities as well. You see, we could say this, each group, the Jews and the Gentiles, each group has to reckon with its own current racial diversity. And now here's the other part. Both groups have to reckon with the racial diversity of the other group. It comes with the territory, Mishpocha. Both groups have to learn what we could call ahavat chinam, love without cause, or love that is free, or causeless love. The kind of love Yeshua teaches about. When, when he was teaching his disciples, uh, love your enemies, that's ahavat chinam. That is love without any boundaries, love that's willing to go beyond what is deserved. It's love that's not just rooted in the cause.
It's not just reciprocal love. You love me, I love you. We all are happy together. Let's sing a nice, happy song together. No, it's more than that. Ahavachinam really costs us something. You have to embrace God. You have to embrace one another. You have to embrace the teachings of Yeshua in order to have the capacity for true Ahavachinam. Well, this kind of reckoning that applies for male and female also applies in other ways. And, and I, I, I wanna tell you, brace yourselves, because I wanna tell you the way it really works. For almost every category and every quality of humanity that we can consider, both parts are needed, both parts need each other. The prophet Joel puts it this way. I'm gonna try to develop this idea. God will pour his spirit out on all flesh and blood. Someone should write that in the comment section. God will pour his spirit out on all flesh and blood. All. That's pretty inclusive, wouldn't you say? So here are categories that the prophet Joel mentions. Young and old, male and female, servants, both servants who are men and servants who are women. All are held in high regard by the Lord, and it means something to us. Now, Corinthians puts it another way. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 puts it like this. There's one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Jews and Greeks, that's, that's almost the same as saying Jews and Gentiles. Slave and free, that's almost the exact parallel to what the prophet Joel said when he was talking about servants, um, maidservants and manservants will receive. You see, those who are in that uh, position of servanthood, even because of slavery and those who are free, we are all part of one body, one body together and all of us given one and the same spirit. And something starts working on people when you realize, oh, that person who is enslaved, but we're counting as part of this body. Oh my gosh, we need to treat them like they're a real person. This is a radically powerful and transforming idea that the scriptures teach us. When, when we start valuing male and female, men and women, when we start valuing people of different um, ages, of all ages, when we start valuing people regardless of their ethnicity or even because of their ethnicity, when we value all races of people, all skin colors, all language, languages, something radical starts happening. We want everyone to experience freedom and dignity and honor. That's really how it works. Now, let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, and we're going to continue to see how this is expressed. And I'm, I'm going to use my own personal David Levine Amplified translation here. I wasn't really satisfied with any one translation um, that I've come across. So here's my own more amplified version, Galatians 3.28. And I think it captures some very important parts that are missing in other translations. There is no difference in value between Jew and Greek. 
between slave and free, between male and female, because you are all valuable and incorporated into one body through Messiah Yeshua. There are some people who use other translations of this where it says uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek as the beginning format. They use that to prove that all the Jewish people should disappear. We should just meld into and assimilate into the Gentile world. But I think that's wrong. In the same way that there's not a difference between Jew and Greek, there's not a difference between male and female. But ask yourself this question, is there a difference still between male and female? Absolutely. Of course there is. Men and women are different. Genetically, we're different. Um, our hormones, our organs are different. There are some things that can be done where you can uh, superficially and even hormonally begin to um, mimic the other, but you can't change the basic reality that uh, a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Those, those realities exist. And uh, every doctor understands that from a medical, let's say this, every gynecologist understands that. Every obstetrician understands that. And it'd be good if all of us understood it too. So, so if there's no difference, that doesn't really capture it. It really means there's no difference in value. We all have standing before God. This is so important. None of us is superior because of our ethnicity, because of our social standing, because of our gender, none of us is inferior for the same reasons. Now, the prophet Isaiah speaks about these issues of mutuality and value on many different occasions. I want to look at one uh, first, and that is Isaiah 56, verse 3. And it says this, don't let foreigners or those who are foreign born who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be part of his people, Israel, of his Jewish people. This is very important. There is in this statement, there's this recognition that people who were not born Jewish may have this feeling that there's something that they don't have that God values and that because of that, they're not really um, first rate with God. And Isaiah says, don't let yourselves think like that. If you weren't born Jewish, but you've committed yourselves to the Lord, you're, you're walking faithfully with God and with the Jewish people, don't allow yourself to think like that. And then there's an inclusive statement in Isaiah 56, verse 7. It's just four verses away. Um, the Lord says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Yeshua emphasized that on many occasions. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You see, the God of Israel is concerned for all the nations of the world, and he wants the people Israel, the Jewish people, to share in that concern. And of course, there have been times of rejection and times of uh, even murderous uh, history and genocide where the Jewish people could grow hard in this uh, matter and not want to have anything to do with Gentiles. But truth is, Gentiles are here to stay and so are Jews. The vision of Isaiah's 
about the value of Jews and the value of Gentiles is present even in the early parts of the book Isaiah. I, I'm bringing this up because some people may say, oh, you're just selecting a few, you're cherry picking a few, a, a few verses to try to make your point. Um, I am picking some good verses, but I want you to see it's a thread that exists throughout the, the book of Isaiah, the, um, the entire book. And I, I'm saying that both for Jews and for Gentiles. Um, so that we will see that there is this prophetic impulse that's at work in the prophets of Israel that, that recognizes that Jews need Gentiles and Gentiles need Jews. Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations, all nations will stream to it. All nations. And many different people groups will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. So let's just pause for a minute, because this is teaching us something, that it is the prophetic plan of God that will be realized that people of different nationalities, ethnic groups, people groups are going to be touched by the God of Israel, the Jewish people, and will want to join in. And it says, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. And then it says, for the law, or Torah will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, powerful, powerful prophetic passage there. And I want you to see the pattern, the pattern of mutual need and value. And this pattern, I dare say, is essential to messianic life and to the great hope for the world to experience God shalom, his peace, and for God's peace to actually touch and change this world. Now, I want to show you some other voices in the Jewish scriptures that speak of this. Solomon saw the pattern when he was praying over the dedication of the Jerusalem temple. He prayed to God. It's recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 32. Lord, in the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel will hear of you, and they will come from distant lands when they hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray toward this temple, hear from them and hear from heaven. See, that's the prayer of Solomon. What he recognizes is the temple of Israel, the temple that was built in Jerusalem that was meant to um, connect help connect the Jewish people with the God of Israel, that this was not just for the Jewish people, but there would, people, there would be people from distant lands from far away who would want to come to worship the God of Israel and to learn with the Jewish people. Zechariah saw the pattern when he was prophesying about the coming age of Messiah. It's in Zechariah chapter 8, Verse 22 is the prophetic vision that God gave Zechariah. Many people from strong nations will come to Jerusalem to worship me, says the Lord, and to ask me to treat them with kindness. That's Zechariah chapter 8, 
verse 22. So I hope, I hope that if you've been in the Messianic movement for any length of time, these ideas are familiar to you. And I hope that you've taken them to heart um, long ago. In fact, maybe you were attracted to the Messianic movement, partly because of these values that I'm sharing. But I want to go further. I want to stir the pot a bit. Because this pattern of mutual need and value can also apply to many other aspects of life. And here, I'm going to say it without too many words, but I want to say it really clearly. It can apply to the realm of politics, to socioeconomics, and to other areas as well. So here's an example. Rich and poor need each other. Now, if, if, if in your heart you go, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that. Good. Okay. I want you to see the pattern though, and I want you to see how far it can go. Native born and foreign born need each other. And you might say, well, yeah, yeah, I get that too. And some of you may say, I don't know. But you, almost every one of us, let's be honest, almost every one of us knows some people who don't like to fellowship with others who are of different uh, socioeconomic strata than they are, or who speak with a different accent or um, are a recent immigrant rather than an immigrant from uh, much longer ago. Isn't it true that rich people often only fellowship with rich people? Not in the Messianic community. That's why uh, the Apostle James said, when a rich person comes into your synagogue um, and there's a poor person in the synagogue, the idea was this, and it's something we embrace wholeheartedly, that rich and poor would be together in a Messianic synagogue may not be the case in every kind of synagogue, but it should be the case in a Messianic synagogue. But native born and foreign born, isn't that what the prophets were talking about? That those who are foreign born and those um, who, who join themselves with God and with the Jewish people should not think of themselves as second class. Native born and foreign born need each other. We need each other. Now here's, I'm going to say it very simply, liberals and conservatives need each other. And I know some of you are going to gag on that and some of you are going to grimace because you don't really believe it because you don't have, you haven't even thought about the fact what would happen if we only did new things like liberals might want, or we only kept doing what we've been doing, which conservatives want. You see, conservatives who are healthy have a bit of uh, innovation in them like liberals do, and liberals who are healthy have a bit of a desire to conserve and to hold on to that which is good. We need each other. Liberals and conservatives need each other. And I'll say just in a few words, Democrats and Republicans in the United States of America need each other. So let's drop the charade, everybody. We all need each other. Isn't that the real truth? We all need each other. And just because you might think that you don't need those other people, it doesn't mean you're right. You might say, ah, I don't, I don't need uh, conservatives. I'm a liberal. Oh, that doesn't make you right. Or you might say, well, I'm Conservative, I don't need liberals. 
You see, you could each be saying that, and it doesn't mean you're right just because you think that. All it means is you're like an eye saying you don't need an ear. That's all it is. So let's remember our differences are the means by which God fits all of us into his body. It's good we're not the same. We need these differences. Thank you, Mishpacha, for taking such things to heart. I know it's difficult during these times of polarization and accusation and division. These are difficult times, but we've been called to overcome it all. We are not partisans for the sake of politics. We are one in Messiah, called to love each other as we love the Lord. Well, I want to close this time with Aaron's blessing as we normally do, and then we'll return to the Korshan home for a final worship song. But would you consider a generous contribution to Beth Israel? If you're not already a supporter, we would really appreciate you standing shoulder to shoulder with us financially. You can go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving for all the details. Join us also tomorrow, Saturday at 1030. We'll be live on Facebook Live, and we'll also be coming from the sanctuary for a wonderful celebration, featuring our Torah service live as we read from the first Parsha from our Torah scrolls. We're going to have a great time in the synagogue and live from home together, live from the sanctuary, live from home together. It will be a great time together. Now, the RSVP seating for the synagogue service is already complete, um, but you can join us on Live From Home. So now let's turn to Aaron's blessing. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep watch over you and guard you and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. So from Sandy and me, we say Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for joining with us today. Let's